Hey there, it's Mitch here. And before we get into today's episode, our spring membership drive has officially sprung and we've got one heck of a giveaway. When you make a donation in any amount to Vermont Public by March 16th, you'll be entered to win a new roof valued up to $15,000 thanks to Vermont Construction Company. Your support makes everything we do possible. Make a gift today so we can keep bringing you the trustworthy, reliable news you count on day in and day out. To make your gift, head to vermontpublic.org donate. And thanks. From Vermont Public, this is The Frequency. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. It's Monday, February 12th. And here are today's headlines. The Vermont Senate on Friday approved legislation that would send direct financial aid to towns and cities hit by the summer floods. The bill includes a $12.5 million grant program directing aid to all 143 municipalities that experienced flood damage. Caledonia County Senator Jane Kitchell says it'll be largely up to towns to decide how to use the money. Our goal and our thinking is to look at um, total flexibility, Once the money goes out, then it would be up to the municipalities to determine how they want to spend it. Lawmakers haven't decided yet how they'll determine the amount of money each municipality should get, and the legislation still needs approval from the House of Representatives. To get education spending under control, a key House committee voted unanimously on Friday to advance a bill that gets rid of a tax break lawmakers think encourage districts to maximize spending this year. Schools are divided on the tax change, which will impact districts differently. But they're unified on one thing. They say cutting spending alone won't solve the problem and that lawmakers need to find additional revenues to take the pressure off property taxes. Elaine Collins is the superintendent for North Country Schools. And while her districts will benefit from the change, she's not exactly celebrating. When we rely so heavily on just property taxes, it automatically pits towns against schools and um, and school district against school district in this particular um, in this particular instance and it doesn't feel good to be on either end of that equation it doesn't feel good to be a loser and it really doesn't feel good to be a winner the bill still needs approval from the full house and senate before becoming law The Howard Center announced last week that it's shut down two substance abuse programs citing staffing issues and other challenges The Act 1 and Bridge programs will be at least temporarily suspended. That's according to VT Digger. Act 1 is a temporary detox facility which offered clients a clean and supportive setting to regain their sobriety. The Bridge program provided stabilization, detoxification, and withdrawal management in a non-medical setting for people experiencing problematic alcohol or drug use. The notice came just one day before the Howard Center announced that a new CEO will take over the organization later this year. Sandra McGuire, the Howard Center's current chief financial and operations officer, will begin their new role as CEO on June 1st. GE Aerospace has agreed to pay a financial penalty of $443,000 in back pay over alleged hiring discrimination practices at its manufacturing facility in Rutland. The money will go to 116 women after a compliance review conducted between August 2018 and January of 2020 found that GE Aerospace discriminated against female applicants who applied for manufacturing jobs. That's according to a U.S. Department of Labor news release. As part of the conciliation agreement, GE Aerospace will also extend 14 job offers to female applicants in Rutland. 
and the Rutland facility has agreed to provide workplace-specific training for all company employees involved in recruiting, selecting, or tracking interest for open positions there. GE Aerospace did not return a request for comment. Coming up, longtime Eye on the Sky meteorologist Mark Breen has witnessed some spectacular weather events over his 40-year career, but nothing like the one happening this April. We'll hear why so many people are coming to Vermont for the total solar eclipse after this. The Frequency is supported by MVP Healthcare, offering Medicare Advantage plans made for Vermont and guided by doctors, in partnership with the UVM Health Network. Info at uvmhealthadvantage.com. For over 40 years, the Fairbanks Museum and Planetarium's Senior Meteorologist and Planetarium Director Mark Breen has served as our eye on the sky. Mark has covered unusual and historic weather events affecting Vermont and beyond, including Tropical Storm Irene and last year's May freeze. But in all his years, Mark has never experienced a total solar eclipse. That is, until later this year, when on the afternoon of April 8th, one will pass directly over parts of Vermont. Vermont Public's Jen Jarecki spoke with Mark about his expectations for Eclipse Day. Here's Jen. First off, can you explain to listeners what a total solar eclipse is and why it's such a big deal? Sure. A total solar eclipse happens in just a a relatively narrow spot on the Earth when the moon is perfectly lined up between the Earth and the sun. So it actually blocks the sun. The moon's size and distance is just right so that it just barely covers the sun's disk, often for just a, a minute or two. And the path of it, relatively small across the the Earth, less than one-tenth of one percent during any particular eclipse. So this happens fairly rarely, the last one in Vermont in 1932. Burlington had its cloudiest January since 1951 this year. Mark, are you expecting that clouds are something we'll have to contend with on Eclipse Day? I'd like to say no, but that's historically not the case. I've been looking at this really for more than a year, knowing the eclipse was coming up and starting to compile some data uh, specifically for April 8th and cloud cover. And as I've looked through the records at the Fairbanks Museum, which actually extend back into the 1890s, the average amount of cloud cover on April 8th runs between 70 and 80 percent. Are there any contingency plans in place in the event of poor weather? I hate to ask, but... Well, it is something that we have to consider. And so there are a few things that we can do. One, we can certainly, because of the uh, worldwide internet uh, connections, we can see what's going on in other locations. So we'll be able to see something. That's certainly the case. The other thing is that we will simply have to plan that if we can't be outside there's got to be something to do inside. And fortunately, the Fairbanks Museum has a, a planetarium that will be able to feature programs explaining the eclipse and actually showing a simulated eclipse on the dome. Well, Mark, we heard from Lynn in Quichi about the special eclipse glasses. When should people wear them and when should they be sure not to wear them? I mean, is, is there anything that someone might miss by having the glasses on? Well, sure. The the eclipse glasses are very important. They're really critical in terms of the period of time until the sun is completely eclipsed. There actually is this period of time when we call this totality, when the moon is completely covering up the sun. And at that point, 
you don't want to be wearing your eclipse glasses because they're designed to filter out the sunlight. But when there is no sunlight, what we can see is a glowing sort of a, uh, aura almost around the sun. What this really is, is the sun's atmosphere called its corona. And with eclipse glasses on, you would not be able to see that. So just as the last glimmer of light from the sun disappears, it's safe to take off those eclipse glasses. And the minute that you start to see even a hint of sunlight coming back out on the other side of the moon, you need to put them back on. Thank you for clarifying that. And Mark, I wonder, is there anything in particular that you're excited to see on Eclipse Day? Well, I obviously really excited to see the eclipse itself. Uh, in all of my years, I have never seen a total eclipse of the sun and really excited to see, one, the corona that I just mentioned, but also when it gets semi-dark, and this is not going to be total darkness, this will be more like twilight, but it will be dark enough that some of the planets will actually appear on either side of the sun. Well, clearly, as a meteorologist who has been doing this work for over 40 years, I can hear your excitement about seeing a total solar eclipse. Mark, what makes it special that the path of totality is here in Vermont? Well, it's very unique. In fact, that places the Fairbanks Museum's planetarium as the only planetarium that's within the path of the eclipse in New England. And so we're really excited to have it here. It also means that it's a very rare event. The last one in 1932 the next one seen in Vermont, and it'll be in southern Vermont, isn't until the year 2079. For more information about the upcoming eclipse, visit our website, vermontpublic.org. Thanks for listening to The Frequency today. We had additional reporting from Peter Hirschfeld, Lola Dufour, and Nathaniel Wilson. Our executive producer is Kevin Trevelin, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. My colleague Mary Engish will be filling in for the show tomorrow, but I'll talk to you soon. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.